Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. If you are uh, newer to our church family or a guest here, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors and elders here, and we usually take a section of the Bible and just walk carefully through it because we believe that this is God's very word to us, and so we want to hear from Him. So you can join me in turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and if you're using one of the Bibles that's under a seat nearby, that's on page 964. Well, we're continuing our summer series on overflowing generosity. So we have one more series in this, or one more sermon in this series, and then we'll get back to the gospel of Mark. So in this series, though, we're seeing that the triune God is a fountain of generous grace. The Trinity is like an infinitely productive spring that overflows with grace toward us, and we're cups that receive His grace, and we are filled up to overflow and thus then spread that grace to others around us. So we've seen how God generously gives His love to us in this series. We've seen Him give His welcome and acceptance to us in Christ and generously bless us with financial resources. He generously gives us the gospel, the good news of Jesus and our rescue in Him. He generously serves us in Christ, and in His generosity, He not only gives this to us, but He fills us up so that we then overflow in these very ways to others, extending the welcome of Christ to others, blessing others financially, serving others as we've been served. And so this morning, we're going to see how we can experience and extend the comfort that only God can give. Now, the word comfort uh, has become a pretty thin word to us, so I think of the softness of a blanket that just came out of the dryer or kind of a gentle breeze as we're on a porch, but there's something much more in view here with this word. This is less about comfortable circumstances, and it's more about encouragement even in the hardest of circumstances. It combines showing compassion and giving strength. To comfort someone is to encourage them. It's to bring them a kind of strength and lift them up and cheer their heart in the midst of suffering. One commentator on 2 Corinthians said that God's comfort is His consoling, strengthening, and refreshing believers in the midst of adversity. So it's about lifting up and strengthening others spiritually and emotionally. So when we see this word comfort, we should actually think of two words together. Think of comfort and encouragement, some combination of both of those. And this morning we're considering how God Himself gives us this kind of comfort and encouragement, and He does so in such a way and with a purpose that we would receive it and then extend this to others. And this morning we're seeing this from just one sentence. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. So let's read this together and then pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray. 
Father, we all need your comfort. Some of us feel it acutely right now. Others may not, but may even this week and not even know it's coming. But you do, and so we pray that you would prepare us for that. We pray that you would comfort those who need an encouragement that only you can bring in the midst of their life right now. And we pray that you would continue to encourage us and equip us to be a church that has a culture of encouraging one another in the midst of suffering. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we just read is one of the most important sentences in the whole Bible regarding this theme of comfort through suffering. In fact, in the, the New Testament, it's Paul himself and his letters where we see the occurrence of affliction and suffering language and comfort language more than any other author in the New Testament. And it's the letter of 2 Corinthians that uses it more than any other letter that Paul's written. And it's this first section of 2 Corinthians that uses this affliction and suffering language with comfort language more than any other part of this letter. So you, you see that everything's coming down here to this sentence for being one of the most important sentences that's ever been written in human history on what we need in the midst of suffering, namely the comfort God can give. So here's the main idea here. This is a statement of praise, and here's the main idea. God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others in theirs. And here's why this matters. Because every one of us needs this kind of deep comfort and every one of us has people around us who need this kind of deep comfort. So many of us are often downcast and depressed from the weight of heavy circumstances. A lot of life is just figuring out how to manage while carrying the weight of grief. Whole communities can carry this sadness and become run down and tired. Our broader society is saturated with anxiety and depression. Medication stats show that we are weighed down and feel burnt out. So every one of us, our communities, our culture as a whole, needs this comfort and encouragement. And the message of the Bible is that God has come in Jesus Christ to give us this comfort. And he wants you to experience this comfort and then to extend it to others. So this sentence gives us three insights about comfort in the midst of suffering. It shows us the source of comfort, the experience of comfort, and the extending of comfort. So the source of it, the experience of it, and how we can extend it to others. So first, we'll walk through phrase by phrase. First, the source of comfort. So God is the source of the comfort that our world needs. This is verse 3. You can read it again with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice here, Paul doesn't just praise God generically. In the New Testament, now that Jesus has come, the triune nature of God is clear. And so Paul always keeps the Father and the Son tightly close together in the Holy Spirit, often as the third whenever he speaks of them. And so he praises the Father in particular here. And it's interesting because some people think of the Father as aloof and cold, while Jesus the Son is near and 
merciful and warm, but Paul is directing his praise here to God the Father in particular, and he praises the Father for being the source of mercies and comfort. So it is his nature to spread mercy and comfort. Mercy and comfort flow naturally from God the Father. And let's consider both these words. So first, mercies. You see it's in the plural here. It's emphasizing all the particular merciful actions that God shows us. It's often in the plural through the Bible for that reason, because there's concrete ways that God shows us His mercies in the everyday moments of life. And in Ephesians 2.4, Paul says that God is rich in mercy. I love what the 1600s pastor Thomas Goodwin wrote about this. He said that we don't read in Scripture anywhere that God is rich in wrath or rich in justice or rich in power, although these are all inward perfections in, in Him. But we do read that He's rich in mercy. He loves to show mercy. He delights in showing you mercy. The second word here is comfort. And notice He's not the God of some comfort. He's the God of all comfort. So this is who He is, and it's what He loves to do to show comfort. This is at the heart of the message of the whole Bible. The message of the Bible is that God is a God who loves to bring comfort to those who are suffering. He delights to bring encouragement to those who are discouraged. So think with me about the sweep of the Bible from the very beginning. When our first parents rejected Him, Adam and Eve, God showed them comfort. He rightly judged them and sent them out of the garden, but he sent them out with comfort. He clothed them with animal skins. He covered their shame, and he sent them out with a promise that he would one day send a Savior through Eve's line to crush the source of evil. And then as he created his people, Israel in the Old Testament, and generation after generation, year after year, no generation being different than the other, it seems. They just rejected him over and over, and he still promised them comfort. And so one of the most important texts in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 is the hinge in the book of Isaiah, and it speaks about the hinge and turning point of human history when God would come. It's an announcement that God will come to restore all things, to forgive his people, to bring a new creation, to send a Savior King who will die for the sins of His people and rise again and bring the restoration of all things. And do you know how He announces the beginning of this? You know how He announces the coming of all these good things in Isaiah 40? Some of you know this well. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally speak to the heart of Jerusalem. So he announces the coming of the renewal of all things in the kingdom of God with the announcement of comfort, comfort my people. And then 700 years or so later, Jesus came to bring this comfort. And as he arrived, there was a man waiting for him named Simeon. Luke chapter 2 describes what he was waiting for. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel from Isaiah 40. And repeated beyond Isaiah 40. And then Jesus was born, and this man Simeon took him up, Jesus, in his arms, and he praised God. And he said, I've seen the salvation of the Lord, right, because Jesus came. And then Jesus came, 
and he spread comfort to people. And then on the cross, he took our sins upon himself and experienced the eternal discomfort, the eternal judgment that we deserve. And then he rose again and he sent the Holy Spirit. And do you remember what he called the Holy Spirit? The Comforter to be with us as his comforting presence in the midst of a broken world. And then when Jesus returns in the end, the Bible culminates with this great moment and this striking picture of comfort, and it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This picture of a father wiping away all that's brought us sorrow and sadness. So the God of the Bible is the father of mercies in the God of all comfort. This is who he is. And this means that the God who is there, not the God we've made up, the real God, is a perfect match for all your needs. Our world needs comfort, but it doesn't know where to look. So we try to cope in all sorts of ways with the grief we carry. We try to numb the pain we feel with various addictions, or we seek to find comfort in an addiction to getting a successful career, or looking forward to just an easy retirement to finally bring the comfort that we'll need, or a new relationship, or financial wealth. But none of those sources are deep enough to give us the comfort we need. Only God himself can do this. So there's a great opportunity for Christians today to surprise people with what God's really like. Many people uh, are rejecting God, thinking they have, they're rejecting the true God, but they're, they're not. They're rejecting an idea of God they have in their head, but it's not this God. It's not the God of comfort and the Father of mercies, because the God that they think they're rejecting doesn't match the actual God of the Bible. So I remember spending a lot of time in, in a season, I've done this over time, I guess in a few iterations of reading and listening to Christopher Hitchens. So he passed away about a decade ago now, so one of those new atheists. And I don't know why I was particularly drawn to him. Um, I remember just breaking down and crying when I found out that he had passed away um, because I had, didn't know him personally, but felt like I, I knew him from spending a lot of time listening because I just wanted to understand why he was so against Jesus and uh, his people. And it's interesting, he had a view of God that when he would talk about God, it was actually completely foreign to the God that I read about on the pages of Scripture. Um, The God that Christopher Hitchens thought that we have, he thought of God as kind of the big brother thought police that's just ready and eager to zap us, and that's what he delights in. He did not have a view of God as the father of mercies in the God of all comfort. And so we have a great opportunity to reintroduce people to the one true God. So at least if they're going to reject him, they they know who it is they're rejecting. And this is why God is the source of all comfort for us then, because he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And he wants us to know him as that. Second, the experience of comfort. This is verse four now. You can read it with me. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. One of the most important things for us to see here is the word right in the middle of that phrase, who comforts us in all our affliction, not after, but in. Of course after. 
history is heading toward the great comfort and restoration of all things. But here, he's making it clear that he comforts us in the midst of our suffering. So, this is an encouragement that we can experience in the midst of suffering. We don't have to wait until our trial's over to experience this. This is the encouragement that David spoke about in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? He's in the midst of this terrible situation. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? In the midst of the valleys of life, God is with you and can comfort you. And what kind of afflictions are these that we experience here and that Paul's talking about? Well, I think it's important to think of these afflictions both narrowly and broadly, and I think both are in view here. So, narrowly, these are afflictions that come from following Jesus and being identified with Him. So, if you're a Christian, the Bible does not say become a Christian and you won't suffer. The Bible says become a Christian and you'll have a whole new kind of suffering that will enter into your life. And that's the kind of affliction that comes from being identified with Jesus in a world that doesn't like Him. And the kind of affliction that comes from following Jesus and the hardships that come simply from following Him. So, Paul, for instance, knew the worst of this firsthand, the man who's writing this. You can read his story in the book of Acts. You can actually just keep reading through this letter of 2 Corinthians because he reveals um, more of his hardships in this letter than anywhere else. A lot of his passion to follow Jesus and make disciples led to him experiencing hardship. So, he was violently beaten by mobs. He was run out of cities. He was stoned. He was abandoned by friends. He had false accusations against him. He was misunderstood and misrepresented. He was unjustly imprisoned. And his suffering wasn't just physical, it was also emotional. In fact, the words that Paul uses in this text to refer to suffering and affliction, uh, it's, a, it's a word that's used to apply both to circumstances and emotional distress. So, as you and I identify with Jesus and seek to live for Him, we will suffer in some ways like Paul did and like Jesus Himself did. So, even think of it like this. As you apply yourself to make disciples of Jesus, you can expect suffering in different ways because you may be depressed when it doesn't look like your efforts are producing anything. That's a form of affliction. You may become weary from working hard and long. You may have anxiety about how someone you care about may not be holding fast to Jesus. Paul talked about that as one of his afflictions later in this letter. The anxiety he has for the churches because he longs to see them know Christ and be conformed to the image of Christ. And sometimes he wonders, what in the world is going on with these crazy churches? And he's got this anxiety that's a form of distress and affliction. You may be anxious about problems that look impossible to solve. You may be dismissed because you don't go along with our culture's gender revolution in your workplace. And so, the sufferings in view here are, are narrowly what come to us as we follow Jesus. But it's also broader than this, and I think that's clear here because Paul uses the broadest possible language here. He says that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. Later, he'll talk about God who comforts the downcast. This is just who He is. He's the source of comfort for us in all our suffering. And so, this is, this is God who's the source of your comfort in the midst of the aftermath of a miscarriage. 
or when a parent of yours dies, or your spouse, or a child of yours, or a friend, or when you get news of cancer, or as you just experience the hardship of declining in old age. But how do we experience this comfort in all of this suffering? Well, here's a few practical ways we can experience God's comfort. I think just four of them I'll note here before we move on. First, it's comforting to know that God is in control. Look down just even a couple verses at verses 8 and 9 here. Paul gives an extreme example from his own life of what he's talking about. He says, For we do not want you to become aware, brothers, or to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul thought he was going to die. But that, that suffering, that intense suffering, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see how extreme his suffering was? He thought he's going to die, but then do you see how he notes God's purpose in all this? Look again at that last line. We felt that we received the sentence of death, but that... That experience of thinking that he was going to die, but that very thing was to make us, it was intended to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So there was a divine purpose even in his most extreme suffering. He doesn't just say, but the result of my suffering was that I relied on God, and isn't that nice? No, he said there was a divine purpose in it. If God permits something, He has a purpose for it. God is sovereign over your suffering. And that is, in the end, actually comforting. Because He's not just standing by, wringing His hands, anxious about what's going to happen to you and not really sure and not able to do anything about it. No. He allows it, and if He allows it, He has purposes for it. And so, in this case, Paul says the purpose for that was to make me rely not on myself, but on God. So if you are in Christ, you can be sure of this. Nothing comes into your life without God's permission and therefore without purpose. It has God's permission, therefore, and it has a purpose. And so no suffering is so great that God can't bring a greater comfort to reach it. Paul speaks here of abundant suffering and therefore abundant comfort. So, there is a comfort to know that the God of all comfort is in control. Second, second way that we experience God's comfort, and this is more like a prerequisite of it, it's we have to acknowledge our weakness. We won't experience God's comfort unless we acknowledge and come to terms with reality and the reality of our affliction and distress. We have to admit, like Paul in this situation, that we are sometimes burdened beyond what we can handle. We have to admit that we're weak. That's what it means, right? Weakness is saying, I'm inadequate for this. I can't handle this. So our culture tends to lead the other way here. It tells us to pursue self-sufficiency. But one of God's purposes in bringing suffering is actually to wake us up to our inadequacy. It's to help us see our limitations, to see our sin, to see our weakness, 
And the greater purpose of this is so that we can open ourselves to his comfort. G.I. Packer, you know, many of you have read that book, um, Knowing God. He also wrote a little book before he passed away called Weakness is the Way. And it's just some reflections on sections from 2 Corinthians. And it's excellent. And he shows that weakness opens us up to God's strength. And this is why it's at the heart of the Christian life, why weakness is at the heart of the Christian life. So here's what he said. The Christian way of life and service is a walk of weakness. As human strength gives out and only divine strength can sustain and enable. So if you want to experience God's comfort, you have to admit your weakness. That's hard for some of you. Right? You're not used to that, but this is the path of, toward comfort. Here's a third way we can experience God's comfort. God comforts us with his presence. It is God himself who's most comforting to us. We know that when we're suffering, a friend's presence is a great gift, right? When a friend is with you and draws near. And so the greatest gift is God's own presence with us. There's something that Jonathan Edwards wrote to a friend one time that has helped me over the years um, understand this and experience it. So this is, there's one line that he wrote that's been um, a really helpful reminder to me when I experience loss and in even just encouraging other people when they've experienced loss. So Jonathan Edwards was that New England pastor of the 1600s. He lost his daughter when she was eight years old, and he referred to her as the flower of the family. And he wrote to his friend to ask for prayer through that loss. And here's what he wrote. He said, here we have a great loss, but the remembrance for the remarkable appearances of piety in her right, evidence of God's grace in her life. She's a real Christian. From her childhood in life and also at her death are very comfortable to us, meaning comforting to us. And they give us great reason to mingle thanksgiving with our mourning. So I'll pause there before we move on. So that's one way that God comforts us. So if someone we lose, we, we think of the way that God had grace in their life to empower them to know Christ, and so we can mingle thanksgiving with the loss here. But it's the next line that has stayed with me. He said, I desire your prayers, dear sir, that God would make up our great loss to us in himself. So do you see how God comforted him in this situation? Yes, by reminding him of all the grace in her life. But then what he asked for at the end is that God would make up our great loss to us in himself. So when we lose someone that we love deeply, there is a hole there that it seems nothing can fill. There is a unique hole in our life shaped by that person. This deep loss down to the, feels to the core of who we are. And what he's praying for is that there, he knows there's only one thing, namely one being, who can fill that loss, and it's God himself. And he can fill it not with something else in creation or even any other person, but with himself. He can make up something of that loss in himself. So I've prayed this for many of you over the years as you've lost people, that God would make up that loss with more of himself. And encourage you to pray for that for one another 
as we go through loss in this life that God himself would come in to make up something of that loss with more of himself because nothing short of God will be enough. A fourth way God comforts us is with his promises. So one of the great promises for sufferers is Romans 8.28. For many Christians, this is their favorite verse in the Bible and, good with, and with good reason. I realized recently, I mean, I love Romans 8.20. I'll read in just a second, Romans 8.28. Uh, I hardly ever bring it up in sermons, though, and I'm not quite sure why. So I might just try to compensate in these next few months. We'll see. Um, so here it is. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So God works all things, everything that happens to you, good and bad, everything is worked together for the good of His people of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And as we read on, that good is first to make us more like Jesus, because in suffering, we learn to rely on God and depend on God, and we're transformed in the image of Jesus. The broader principle here is that God's working even bad things for good. It doesn't make bad things good, but it does mean that God can work bad things, and He does work bad things for good purposes. So, that's an encouragement uh, in suffering. So there's other ways He comforts us, right? He comforts us by delivering us out of suffering sometimes, by answering our prayers, by reminding us of how He's encouraged others. He comforts us when we gather here. I'm sure some of you have had a really rough week and you came here heavy and just through the truth that we've been singing and praying and hearing God's Word, speaking with one another, seeing each other, seeing other people whom you know are suffering, seeing with joy to God. All of this has a strengthening effect. So don't neglect the gathering of God's people or miss that this is actually a means God uses to strengthen you. And He uses your presence here to strengthen other people, which is why this gathering matters. Uh, it's one of the reasons why it matters. So time's short, though, so we can't go through all the reasons or all the ways God comforts us. So let's move to the final point here, ex the extending of comfort. So God's goal in encouraging us in the midst of suffering is not just that we would be encouraged in suffering. It's that we would become encouragers of others in their suffering. It's for us to be able to give comfort as well. So look at the rest of verse 4. He comforts us so that, so here's the purpose, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's a purpose here. He comforts us in such a way that we would learn the skill and be equipped to comfort other people with the comfort that He's given us. So one of God's purposes in allowing suffering to enter into your life is that you would experience His encouragement. And one of the purposes of Him encouraging you in that suffering is that you then would have a mission and a purpose to encourage other people in their suffering. And how do we comfort them? With the comfort that we've received from God. So we receive the encouragement that comes from God's presence and His promises, and then we take that comfort and we learn to extend that to other people who need it as well. 
I mean, this is one of the great encouragements itself in suffering, isn't it? To know that even as you're going through hardship, one of the things God is doing is preparing you to be a comforter to someone else in their hardship. Sometimes when we go through hardship, we can think, what in the world could God's purpose be? And we may not know one fraction of God's purposes in this life. I mean, we know He's working everything together for good, but that doesn't mean we can name all the things He's doing. Um, But we can know one thing He's doing. He's teaching us to receive His comfort so that sometime down the road, we can comfort someone else with the comfort we've received through this trial. So when you're going through suffering, don't just think about yourself in your suffering. We so often do that, right? We turn very inward and become very inwardly focused. But don't just think about yourself. Think about how God is preparing you to help someone else. So one thing God is doing in your hardship is He's teaching you. And He's teaching you how to become a comforter like He is. And so this is true of you in your suffering. The greater your suffering, the greater comfort God is preparing to give you. And the greater comfort God gives you, the more equipped you will be to give great comfort to someone else. So this can shape how we see others when they go through suffering as well. When, suff- when someone's suffering in your life, I mean, think of someone right now who you know is going through a hard time. You can know that God is up to something there. Perhaps He has you in their life so you can extend comfort to them. So think back in your life. Is there something you've learned through this experience that you can extend to them? And if you haven't, if you haven't gone through any suffering like that, perhaps the best thing you can do actually is encourage them with someone you know who has. You don't need to kind of fake a sense of comfort. Um, But one thing you can also know about what God is, what's happening in their life is that God is up to something. God is preparing them for a mission, an important mission to comfort and encourage others down the road. So think even right now, and maybe even just later today, later this week, maybe one thing you can do as a response to this message is to just pause for a bit and just think through and maybe write down what has God taught you through your suffering? How has God given you comfort in some of your valleys? Write the lessons. How did God draw near? What scriptures did he encourage you with? What promises he given you? And then ask him, say, God, I'm available. Use me to extend this comfort now to someone else. I'll be ready. I want to be open to extend this comfort to someone else. How dignifying and ennobling for all of life. My own life, I think of how he did this for me um, in one particular season when Christina and I lost our first child through miscarriage. So, I mean, we were just devastated. And so I took a couple days off work, and we cried together, cried alone, took walks together, took long walks alone, read the book of Job, especially those first three chapters a lot, read um, kind of a book, a poem book that John Piper wrote called The Misery of Job and the Mercy of God, talked with a few close friends, and through that season, I felt God's nearness to me. I also at times felt his absence. I felt his nearness, and he gave us strength to endure it. He gave us comfort. He gave us hope. That's why we named our child Hope Anastasia or Anastasis. It means hope of the resurrection because he taught us to hope in the resurrection in that time even more so. And so through that time, 
I didn't just receive God's comfort. I received a lesson. Right? He was teaching me how to be a comforter to those who lose their children through miscarriage. So I've passed on what I've been able to learn, and I've often quoted a line from that poem book that John Piper wrote um, that was the lesson for me. In it, he said, there is no haste in grief. And that was really important for me to hear. I don't need to rush past this grieving process. There is no haste in grief. Give space, give time, make sure you grieve. And I've been able to pass that along to other people as well because so, so often we need to be reminded, like you don't need to try to snap out of this in five minutes. There, there's no rush here. Right? This is devastating. Weep. Get alone. Cry. There's no haste in grief. And so I've learned to comfort other people with the way that God comforted me. And I learned from other people who comforted us as well. So if you think backward in a trial, God had comforted other people long before I experienced that devastation. And He equipped them to then comfort Christina and me in that situation. And so we were receiving the comfort that they gave, which was then extending the comfort they had received years before. So people sent notes and emails, just kind, gentle, quiet notes saying, hey, I've been through this. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. You probably passed on a scripture, no doubt something that was encouraging to them. So I was even learning how to comfort others through other people who were passing on their lessons to me. I also learned what not to say to people too, because people give a lot of less than comforting words to people if they don't actually know what that suffering's like. So if you haven't experienced, sometimes it's better to just hold tight and don't try to say anything, um, because there's a lot of very insensitive things that people had said that were kind of mind-blowing. So, um, in fact, one of the more comforting moments was a friend of mine who had been, probably been through some kind of loss and experienced insensitive things, and I had lunch with him, and he just, one of the first things he said to me when we got together was a couple days after this loss, he just said, people say some stupid things, and I said, yep. And I, it was actually a deeply comforting moment because he, could under, he understood that part of the suffering we were bearing was the insensitivity of other people who were really bad comforters, right? As Job called his friends, right? Most people were not that way. Um, so most people taught us greatly how to comfort, and that's why I've given most time to talk about that. Um, so take note of how God's comforted you. Look for opportunities to gently pass that on. Remind them of God's presence. Remind them of God's promises. He's making you into a comforter. He is giving you a mission, an important mission. So, as we wrap up, three brief conclusions to pull this together. First, let's continue to get to know God as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is who He is. This is how He wants you to know Him. So, let this vision of God factor into your thoughts about Him. And if this feels foreign to you, then ask Him to help you understand Him this way. Second, receive. Receive God's comfort in your suffering. If you are grieving right now, receive His comforting right now. Perhaps you have through this time. And there's no grief that you have that can outmatch His grace and mercy for you. So bring your sorrows to Him. Bring your sadness to Him. As the Psalms say, pour your heart out to Him. 
He's not looking for fake, happy Christians. He's looking for us to bring our whole selves to Him. He's looking for us to be honest and realistic about how we're doing and what our life's like. He's fully aware already. And so we bring that to Him, and He comforts us. And some of us may need to learn the lesson Paul did, that suffering is here to first teach us to rely on God. So perhaps you need to admit your weakness and your inadequacy, and he's taking you through a season of life right now, which is an opportunity to just admit it to yourself and to the Lord. I can't handle this. I don't have the capacities, but that's a good thing because it's reality, and you want me to rely on you. And then finally, extend the comfort of God to others. This requires us to be aware of people's suffering, so let's care enough to cultivate a culture, as we're already doing, and continue to do this as a church family, one in which we're open about our own struggles and inadequacy, which gives confidence to other people to share theirs, knowing they won't be judged but welcomed by fellow sufferers. Let's care enough to sense when our friend is grieving and find kind, gentle, thoughtful ways of letting them know that we care about them. Let's not quickly dismiss suffering and cheaply call people to snap out of it in some way. Let's encourage people with God's encouragement. And for those of you who are older, you have seen a lot, and you've experienced a lot, and you've learned a lot. And so the younger generations need you. They need to hear your lessons that the Lord's taught you. Um, One of the reasons God's taken you through so many things is so that you would be able to encourage other people to, in their suffering, and to prepare them for suffering. And so this is why we value intergenerational relationships as a church family. So maybe one step here for you if you're younger is to get to know an older member and just talk to them on Sundays and over time, maybe ask them to have a meal together and to have, have them tell you their story. If you're an older member, do the same for a younger. Get to know someone you may not know even in the next few minutes after the service. And over the course of time and short conversations on Sunday, you might have a relationship enough where you can ask them to grab a meal with you, and you can get to know them, and the Lord can encourage them through you. And if you've never experienced the comfort of God through Jesus Christ, it's available right now. So just open yourself to Him with the empty hands of faith as we sung about this morning and cling to Him. Receive His comfort and His forgiveness and His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Thank you for comforting us in the midst of all our afflictions. And thank you for equipping us to be comforters of others with the comfort with which you give us. So we pray that you would continue to make that a reality in our church family. In Jesus' name.